This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, It's a conflict in the Middle East, that's for sure. The death toll is rising. I'm going to play you audio that is about two hours fresh from the BBC because they're five hours ahead of us and they're up and popping and doing things just a little bit earlier than North America, always the case. And I'm going to play you a Israeli IDF general getting interviewed by a journalist And he's basically, how will you explain what's about to happen to residents of Gaza? And again, it's got its complexities. It's got its nuance, all of that. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But one of the big issues clearly is how to get Canadians out and how to get them from Israel. I have seen people suggest, and I don't know that it's unfair, two questions about airlifting Canadians out of Israel who want out. Like right now, we're going to use Canada. We'll use military aircraft. Citizens can climb on board. Permanent residents can climb on board. Along with their spouses and children, which is really interesting. Like you may have a partner that's not your spouse. Can you can you get somebody common law on that flight if that's how desperate you are to get out? I don't know. Like how are we gonna how are we gonna document these things? Those are really tax returns. A passport is one thing because everybody does have a passport. But if I'm Canadian and I live in, let's say I'm Canadian and I live in Gaza and I have a girlfriend and she's Iranian. Let's say she's Swedish. Let's say she's Danish. She's just not Canadian. Doesn't matter what country. And I say, this is my partner. Oh, I'm sorry. Like spouses and children only. Are we, I'm Canadian, but you're going to tell me that I can't bring somebody that's that special to me. And yes, there will be that distinction, right? <laughs> like, why is she any less special if I've been with her six months for vis-a-vis somebody that you that someone else has been with six years? I mean, these are the honest questions that are people going to end up asking. So they're going to coordinate all this military aircraft, um, and it's a really interesting dichotomy there. Maybe that's that's a rarity. Maybe that's an anomaly from Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie. But someone's going to have to make a call at a certain point in time about that stuff. On the ground in Gaza, you can imagine um, the fighting is fierce. The bombing has been fierce. And as I said, I see now we're going to get into that lens of, of a both sides issue. Well, that's not what Saturday was. The reaction by Israel on Saturday is not a both sides story. It's heartache and heartbreak and anger and being furious and sadness. We've all had those moments since Saturday, and we had them during Saturday as well. I want you to hear Simon Barwall, who's a BBC journalist on the ground, embedded in Gaza, and he interviews a Israeli Defense Force general. Again, you wouldn't think somebody that's running a military operation would stop and talk to somebody like Simon Barwell or somebody like me if we're uh, if if we're there. But he did that. This is about a minute long, but I think his answer is really significant for where we're going next. Here it is. And in charge of all the men here is senior Israeli officer, is Major General Varuv. I'm with him now. I know that Israelis have suffered a great deal and are suffering. There are 2.4 million people a few miles from here in Gaza, including many civilians not connected with Hamas, many of whom are being killed. What do you say to that? We are not terrorists. We are soldiers and we are Western country. And we know and we crush the Hamas and we kill them all. I hope so. But we will steal human beings until our last breath. 
There's no sense in which you are suspending your obligations under the laws of war because of the extent of the emergency facing Israel. We fight for our value, and I know that we will be very aggressive, but we keep our moral and our value. We are Israeli, we are Jewish, and you know, it's a very difficult theater, a lot of problems. People that stay in the battlefield are suffer a lot. You can see what happening here, but we come to kill the enemy, not a civilian in their bed. It's a hell of a balancing act. It really is. The Israeli military started launching their bombing late Saturday night on Gaza, and it's only intensified. And experts on all sides who know their stuff have noted that Israel's had a practice of warning civilians before. Netanyahu made that call for Gaza's residents on Sunday morning in a news conference. Quote, leave now because we will operate forcefully everywhere. But some say that's not enough or that's not sufficient because the question would remain, where do I go? How do I seek safety? It's incredibly densely populated. And part of that has been, there has been a blockade on that territory since 2007. By air, by land, by sea, you can't get out. You need a real special purpose to get out. So are they trapped? This isn't like leaving New Orleans and and Hurricane Katrina. You can get in the car, we're giving you plenty of time, or you can stay with your property. But you risk a lot by staying. It's not like that in the least. So that's something to keep an eye on, certainly, for the rest of the morning. Dan Abrams is a lawyer, and he used to work on MSNBC. I used to watch his show. Maybe 15 years ago, we'd watch his show. I thought he was a really bright, bright guy. He's on News Nation now. And sometimes this happens in the business of uh, radio and television is um, you just can't help yourself. And maybe you go after someplace where you used to work. It's not usually recommended because you, you know, you part ways, you don't burn bridges, et cetera, et cetera. There's some people that do and some people that don't. And this is the first I've heard Abrams talk about. And I can't even remember whether he quit or was fired or whether that was kind of nebulous, I have no idea. But he blasted where he worked on television yesterday afternoon. MSNBC, he described as pathetic. Why? They wouldn't call Hamas what they are, what they were, what I called them on the show yesterday, what the prime minister has called them, what the U.S. president has called them, what the U.K. president has called them. He wouldn't call them terrorists. Here's Dan Abrams blasting away for Saturday's coverage on MSNBC, his former employer. What we're seeing today are very deadly consequences of failed policies, failure on the American administration's part to change course, to take a different course of action with how it deals with the Palestinians and the Israelis, failure on Israel's part. Right. It's, it's their fault. Right. This is Israel's fault. It's the United States' fault. It's the policies that somehow justify or even explain the slaughter, rapes and kidnapping of innocent civilians. OK, Abrams is just getting going. That was Ayman uh, Mohedin, um, and he was calling it victim blaming, saying failed policies from Israel led to this failed policies from the United States led to this. And there's two questions. A, is that accurate? And B, and I think this is the more sort of moral imperative here, is Saturday the right time to state that or ask those questions? Abrams continued, and you'll hear audio as well here from former Torontonian Ali Velshi, who was hosting on Saturday afternoon as well. Most of you have probably seen his work. He used to work at City TV. Here's more from Dan Abrams from News Nation. 
We've had a lot of statements from Americans, mostly Republicans this morning, but some Democrats who um, it, it's a bit boilerplate. It's a Israel is our greatest ally, the only democracy in the Middle East, our strongest ally. We must stand with Israel. Um, there's no nuance or recognition of anything mm -hmm. that has been going on. No nuance or recognition of what's been going on. Innocent women and children brutalized in the streets, families forced to watch their loved ones killed, dozens and dozens of innocent hostages being held captive. He wants American politicians to better appreciate both sides. That's Abrams as fired up as I've ever seen him. I've watched a lot of him. I, he was on TV maybe 2002, 2003. I can remember before I was a parent. I'd watch him a lot at night, and I've never seen him like that. And you do hear Ali Velshi kind of... He's kind of what I call in the business laundry listing, which you can do if you're just listing things. But when it matters to people, imagine on September 12, 2001, if a U.S. anchor had said, yeah, you know, we're hearing this uh, Twin Towers collapse. It's a massive tragedy. Everybody's upset. America's hurting. Uh, imagine saying it like that. Imagine saying it like that. This was the conclusion of Abrams' rant on News Nation. Since Saturday, MSNBC has made 441 references to Hamas militants or, or the fighters. They are terrorists. Full stop. And MSNBC's pathetic refusal to call them that is just shameful pandering to their far left audience. And he's allowed to say that. He can say that and he can have an opinion. And, and MSNBC's audience is more left than right. Fox News is just more right than left. Nothing's terribly strange about that. But that's Saturday. So remember what we were just talking about prior to that. There's a journalist asking an IDF general, how are you going to explain this to civilians? This is going to be brutal. Lives are going to be lost. Eight-year-olds and 88-year-olds are all going to die. Whether they, whether they support Hamas or not, whether they knowingly support Hamas or not. So that's where you got nuance and complexity. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and beyond. It ain't last Saturday. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yeah, for a reason. It's not a TV show, theme show Wednesday. It's not. It could be. Uh, this is the theme for the uh, very popular show on NBC. Thursday night, must-see TV emergency room nobody else calls that that but me but i just do that uh it's greg brady toronto today sheba siddiqui is our producer gord rennie our technical director and uh we're playing that because i just had a healthcare experience um a oh. few hours ago i went and got a uh, mri at the women's college which is over like off bay street it's on gren grenell i can't remember the name of the street but i had a 3 a.m appointment sheba and i scheduled that two weeks ago i thought that was astute of me but then let's see how I, how astute it is around 11.30 this morning. If A, I'm still here, what are the odds? And B, I'm still awake. You uh, still here? Is it in the building or alive? Uh, both. Oh, both. Okay. I love that machine, by the way. You just sort of step. I know some people feel. Oh, it's very claustrophobic. Well, I you don't have to put your. I've never had it for upper body. I've probably had six MRIs in my life. I've had two previous knee surgeries. I had a scope for a meniscus. I think I've got a uh, a, a torn, a slight tear in my lateral meniscus in my left knee, but I've had a full on scope before. I've just, I've never had to go all the way in and have a brain scan or have an upper body scan or a chest scan. So you're probably right. It just, it just sticks my leg in and I get to stay out and listen to all the loud sounds. But Are you allowed to you, be on your phone? Nope. You're not. No. In fact, at one point, um, I, my hands came together 
<laughs> and she uh, and the woman that was helping me, it was just two of us. In the, it felt like in the whole building because it's empty at 3 a.m., which is good. And she said, don't let your hands touch. I'm like, oh, wow. that's very personal, but okay, I won't. Um, so I didn't, my hands weren't, we had to be more by my side. And she, she must have thought I got nervous, but I actually was just like scratching. So you had to inch. sit still for how long were you in there? Um, 40 minutes in the machine. Wow, 40 minutes, Brady had to sit still. I was wearing a gown. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't weigh in on, uh, I couldn't give a bad take on uh, anything. And that's, that's unfortunate. But yeah, the three, these 3 a.m. appointments, I think, are really intriguing, though. And then we looked up the wait time. You can go to OntarioHealth.ca and look up wait times, depending on where you live. And basically, it looks like the average wait time for, I would think I'm a low-priority patient. It's a meniscus. I'm getting around. I want to run again. I want to play tennis again. And I feel like I haven't been able to do that in three months. But the Ontario Provincial average for priority four patients is 86 days. Wow. And look at you, two weeks. It was two weeks. And I don't feel like I got this because I know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody. I just went to a specialist. He said, call this number. And then she was, uh, my specialist said that. And then when I called the women's college hospital, they were like, well, would you do early morning? And I'm like, you bet I'd do early morning. But I thought she was meeting like seven. And I'm like, I can't, I don't want to miss a day of work to do this. Although so 3 I'm feeling a little lightheaded. And I wonder if you guys could continue the show without me for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, if you could. Memories of last week. The so. audience is like, great. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but I, I don't know if people have these options to go at three in the morning. Have you ever gone late for any kind of medical appointment? Like late at night? No, never wow. that okay. late. Okay. Gord, have you? I, when my mom was ailing, I, she had an MRI like, like quarter to midnight. I'm sure I had one late and, and I remember driving in and I think it was at Scarborough Centenary. So it's late at night, but I've never woken up. And that's the first thing I've done is go in for 3 a.m. And I think I was the first patient because I didn't, there were two guys waiting behind me when I got done and out at like 3.50, right. but there was nobody there before me. It was a ghost town. You could have set off a bottle rocket or a firework in there and nobody would have heard it. There was one security guy who let me in and there was one woman upstairs handling me in the second floor. So the entire it. process took how long from walking into the hospital to walking out? 65 minutes. And how long would you do you think it would have taken at 3 p.m.? If, if the afternoon was the only time I could go, you're right. I mean, we got one for my son last year after his, he had a rather horrific uh, knee injury playing soccer. But I do think Sheba, they hustled that up because it's pediatric. They yes. do think they hustled it. They'll hustle kids up and they'll hustle probably somebody who's 70 or over up in, in the next few years. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but, but that's, I think a normal dude like me who can get around, like I'm not, I wasn't, you know, some kind of victimized with some kind of big accident. Um, it's strange. Cause yeah, they make a priority two patient in Ontario, wait three days, priority three patients wait 27 and priority four patients wait 86. Wow. And I, you still hear horror stories. Like I've waited 11 months for an MRI and I can't quite figure out how that would be the case. If a schlub like me, I'm a schlub, can walk in there for 3 a.m. at Women's College Hospital. If you're way out in the middle of nowhere, if you can't travel and you have to stay in your small town hospital, I guess or I would understand Or the 3 a.m. isn't possible, maybe for whatever reason. It might not be. Logistically. Yeah. But yeah, success. We'll see what the results says. Congratulations. I might have to take about a seven-week rehab when the weather gets really nice in April. I'm trying to time because I think they're going to have to snip me. Uh, I think they're going to have to make it. You I know what you I never mean. wanted to be snipped, Well, that's true. I, uh, can you get a two-for-one special at the at the surgeon? Hey, while I'm out. Yeah, 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 it's just in the neighborhood. The guy's scalpel was just in the neighborhood below, uh, low, below the waist, and he just thought, why not? 
But I think this one they put me out for, and the other one they would talk to me, which is, again is my worst fear is having this, the actual other snip and being spoken to uh, at a given time. Anyway, I'm, I'm good. It's all <laughs> You'll good. sit still for that. You will. You will. Um, we've talked about restaurant policy before in the city, Sheba, and there's a new story about – because it, there were a couple – Restaurants that almost promoted themselves as kids free restaurants for people to go and think, oh, I can go here and there'll be no screaming, yelling, kids on iPads, kids running up and down, bumping into my table. Right? And a lot of people were horrified by this. How dare you exclude my kids from the restaurant? It's yeah. our family night. We want to go out for dinner. So there's a restaurant in Yorkville, Adrak in Yorkville. It's an elevated Indian restaurant. Elevated. Sounds fancy. Fancy already. And yeah. you are not allowed to dine there if you have a child under 10 with you. So, I mean, there are couples that have gone in. They've had an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old with them. And the restaurant openly tells them, your 8-year-old's not allowed. Your 11-year-old's welcome to stay. Now, they use reasons like, um, because of our bar. Why we, can't, we don't want anybody sitting at the bar. But the 11-year-old, I mean, you still have an 11-year-old there. I personally, as a mother of four children, I love this policy. I want to go to this restaurant. I want to dine here now. I hate the worst thing I hate, Brady, is if we yeah. get a babysitter, go out on a date with night with my husband, trying to catch up, haven't seen each other, you know, caught up for the whole week. You don't want to hear kids, and there's a kid in the table at the table next to you crying its head off or whining. I'm calling it an it. Go whining and just won't shut up through the entire meal. Well, I hate it. I, I remember that being the case when we would leave our baby at home anytime we heard a baby or a toddler anywhere else. We sort of had that sort of reaction like Oh, is our kid crying at home and the sitter's just, you know, watching Melrose Place and leave? I think that wasn't on then, but whatever. You're, they're watching some American Idol and the baby's crying in the bedroom like you hate. Oh, so you felt guilty. I think we, I think it was a guilt feeling. And then you get that feeling right in the middle of your chest like you should be somewhere. I, I hate that when I've been away six, seven days and I see a baby and gets on some. I remember I used to have that real visceral reaction like, oh, it sucks to be away from home. Well, try this having is your- different. Try having your milk come in when you hear a baby crying. That's not fun. I either. was going to use that phrase, and I'm glad you did, because I do believe, without revealing too much, Mrs. Brady hates when I do that. Yeah. That may have been sort of the partial description. It so doesn't if you happen want, to if me. If you want a fun, child-free dining experience, go to Adric in Yorkville. Do you know what Adric means? No. Ginger. You're about to tell me. Ginger Yorkville? Ginger. That's what it means. Um, so yeah, like do kids celebrate when they hit 11 and they can go to that restaurant now? It's like your first drink. <laughs> Let's find out. My first elevated Indian meal is coming uh, is coming tonight. Um, yeah, that's an interesting. I never see kids at the keg. I'm all, we've, we've always thought the keg's off limits for, for kids. And then now and then we'll which go keg you and I see nine-year-olds there. No, the two downtown are my favorite because you, it's rare to see kids there. In the suburbs, you see them everywhere. You do. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. He was in the chair on the weekend hosting Toronto this weekend. And he's kind enough to join us now. And we'll be uh, having him on Think Tank, of course, on Friday, where he uh, his opinion shines so brightly. Ben Mulroney, uh, broadcaster, joins us now on Toronto Today and 640 Contributor. It's great to have you on. Thank you for this. No problem, Greg. Good morning to you. Yeah, conti just continuing fallout, Ben, from Saturday's massacre in Israel. We played a clip of Dan Abrams, on, uh, who used to be at MSNBC, and he's now at News Nation. And the best way I can describe this, Ben, from I think where, where we're all getting uh, aligned is the, Saturday, there's only one side of that issue Saturday. It's a massacre. Here's who's perpetrated it. It's horrific. Yep. Now we are into a little more of a both sides zone. How do the Palestinians who aren't supporting Hamas respond? How does the Israeli army balance, 
human rights and innocence versus going after Hamas. We, we will. There's a lot more nuance and conjecture now coming in the, in the days to come. Well, look, I, I don't understand where the confusion is. I have never heard uh, in, in people's defense of Israel's right to protect itself. I have never heard anyone attacking specifically the Palestinian people. The fact that, that Hamas and Palestine and the Palestinians are being conflated by the left and really is let's let, we have to call things what they are. A lot of this is coming from a very particular part of the political spectrum. Um, uh, the, the the fact that if you want to talk nuance, let's talk nuance. They need to recognize that Hamas is not the Palestinians. I was at Mel Lastman Square. I was there uh, with fifteen thousand people in support of the people of Israel. I did not hear one single person take issue with the people, the Palestinian people. I heard people taking issue with the murder and slaughter and rape and pillaging and torture and uh, and terrorism perpetrated by a terrorist group in the Gaza Strip. And those are two different things. And, they, and, they, and, and, and the fact that the left is is unwilling to to see the make the distinction is either deliberately obtuse or irretrievably stupid. But I think that's being called out by by others that would that I would identify as left as well, saying you, we're yes. seeing it right now, even in provincial politics, saying, I'm sorry, Mart Stiles is more left than right. Of course she is. And she's saying, I got no time for this. We got things to do. You're in, uh, like, this is wrong what Sarah Jamma uh, tweeted out. This is oh, wrong yeah. what her perspective is. And her deleting a tweet or walking something back isn't going to change how she feels. She's telling you who she is at her core at this moment right now. Oh, absolutely. And look, this is not a hard debate to understand. And you want to know why I know it's not a hard debate? Because Playboy got it right. Playboy fired or, or, or ceased all all business dealings with a former porn star who was asking the terrorist to shoot the videos in such a way that she could appreciate them better on her phone. And uh, just sidebar, if that were, woman were to say that in the Gaza Strip, Hamas would most likely stone her to death for her uh, for her choice of profession. But that's just a sidebar. You know why I know that this is an easy decision to make? Because a supermodel got it right. Gigi Hadid, whose father is Palestinian, adeptly threaded the needle and said, I have real hopes and dreams for the Palestinian people that they will one day live out, um, you know, a, a true nationhood. But none of my dreams have anything to do with the murder and torture and rape of children and, and Israeli women. I mean, if, if a yeah. supermodel and playboy can get it right, then surely the people that we pay to be our leaders can get it right. And if they don't, like I said, it is a deliberate choice. They are siding with a group that is the, the cultural progeny of national socialism yeah. you want to talk about and and the well, difference and I, I and i saw somebody say this online the difference between the two is the nazis actually knew that killing jews was wrong that's why they did it in secret these people are proud of it they are sharing it online and so you could make an argument that they they, they are uh, by, by one metric far worse ben mulroney's joining us 640 contributor on 640 toronto on toronto today Going forward with where we are now, I agree. Saturday's got no nuance. It's got no explanation. It is what it is. It's September 11th. It's it's all of that, and it's easy to put in a box. Right now, though, coming up, we've already had the Israeli defense minister say 
there's going to be a complete siege on siege on Gaza. Get out while you still can. And there's a threat there to, to two million civilians who are more trapped than you and I would be in Toronto or somebody listening in Vancouver would be. There's nowhere to go. And it's it's a war, Ben, but it's not going to be a war of equals here. It is it is a very powerful military trying to snuff out terrorists that are that are bent on Israel's extinction. No question about it. But that's where there's going to be judgment about what Israel does going forward. Because they they could entirely eliminate an entire population if they wanted to with the snap of a finger, and they have to not do that. Of course they do, and they have a policy of informing um, uh, civilians who find themselves in uh, in the line of fire get out if you can get out while you can they 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 they, they will tweet out information about wh- where they're going to be um uh the the areas that are going to be affected uh the the argument that i've heard is that hamas really does want to see a body count here and they're willing to sacrifice their people to get it and i would make an argument that you're right this is not a battle amongst equals uh but but i would argue for it on the other side golda Meir once said if the palestinians put down their arms there would be peace if the israelis put down their arms there would be no more pal- there would there's be no, no israel, israel. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is certainly out there. We're going to talk to somebody at seven o'clock who's been an Iranian activist here in Toronto who was protesting certainly the treatment of women, certainly the abduction of some uh, of some important people in in Iran. But that seems to be that's that's going to be uh, to see if that's the path we walk down where other nations finally drop drop everything and say we're coming to Hamas's support. Iran is obviously um, there's been documentation and a paper trail of them funding Hamas before. So if people want if those on the extremes been wanted a greater conflict in the Middle East and almost a all Middle East or all encompassing war in the Middle East, we're headed in that direction, sadly. Well, yeah, and, and that, that's going to take the international community, the relationships between uh, nation states and personal relationships that have been built over years as as a uh, as the West and the Middle East have have tried to partner and find a path to peace, you know, I, I believe that that, that uh, heck, I think we should we should be going back and bringing a a Bill Clinton into in, into these uh, in, into these conversations because over, over the years of his eight years in office, he developed strong relationships on both sides, and I think he should uh, we the it, it would behoove us to to leverage uh, relationships like those um, in, in order to see if every single avenue. To uh, is is explored and exhausted to ensure that this does not spill over into a larger conflict. I got ninety seconds left for you, Ben. Let's go into. I know you were tweeting about it last night, and everybody's going to have thoughts. I woke up this morning, and there they still are. Hamilton Center MPP Sarah Jama had controversial tweets about Palestine, controversial tweets about what happened on Saturday. It reads to many as a defense of Hamas's tactics on Saturday. And as I said, Mart Styles, the Ontario NDP leader, she called for a retraction. Right now, she hasn't got. It. This this is a little bit of a game of chicken yeah. developing here. Yeah, well, look, I, I think I'm, I'm glad to have seen her perspective as the leader of the party. And I think she took a very good first step in asking for a retraction. But this woman needs to be kicked out of caucus. Just think about it politically. Take, take Israel out of this. If you as a party want to have any credibility on any issues around human dignity and human rights in the next election, you have to do the right thing and kick this woman out of caucus. Because you, you want to talk about uh, labor's, you know, the human dignity in, in, in labor contracts? Well, how about the human dignity of these people in Israel? You have to take that stand. Um, and and I, I made the point 
that you know our, our perspective is a little skewed in Canada that Bev Oda had to leave uh, cabinet because of a seven a nine dollar bottle a glass of orange juice. I mean, this is this is far more than a glass of orange juice. Yeah. She is literally siding with Nazis and terrorists. Like this is this should, this is low hanging fruit. I think this it, is low hanging fruit. And it's styles. And I get listen. I yeah yeah. Well, I was I, say- but I get Greg that yeah that 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 the the, the, um, the party has a different um, a membership with different priorities than other parties. I get that. But this is not a. I mean, this is this is a right and wrong thing. I was going to say, I, I think if you're an a fan, if you will, or a season ticket holder of the Ontario NDP, and you look back and say, what made Bob Ray successful? What made that run in 90 successful? It was moving slightly to the middle and telling the little person, the victim, that you care about them. And you're not going to be married to ideology here. It's a huge call for Styles to make. I agree with you. I'd have made this call already. I think you and I know Doug Ford would have made this call already. Yeah. Already well, he would have made this call. Yeah. A hundred percent. Two things. You want to talk about nuance. Two things can be true at the same time. Right. You can you can feel for the people uh, uh, living in the, in the Gaza Strip. You can feel that they have very real grievances against the the, uh, the the government of Israel. You can absolutely feel that. And you can also feel that terrorism. Call me crazy. Hot take. Yeah. Terrorism is a bad thing. Yeah, exactly that. Hey, Ben, loved having you on this morning. Thanks for your perspective. We're talking on Friday morning on Think Tank at 730. Yes, sir. All the best, Greg. Take care. All right. There's Ben Mulroney joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're uh, joined right now by a uh, special guest, and we're very happy to have him on and his expertise from the uh, research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School, David Patel from the Middle East Initiative. David, thank you very much for making the time for us. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. We're going into very uncertain times right now. Um, Saturday, I think we all weighed in and we saw this for what it was, a terrorist attack by Hamas on the people of Israel. There's, there's was always going to be a thunderous response from Israel. Are you expecting ground troops for Israel to be in the streets of Gaza, even later on today, let alone later on this week? I think we're moving that way, whether the Israeli government wants to go that way or not. So what happened here is they, Israel thought they had an understanding with Hamas. Hamas has ruled the Gaza Strip since 2007, and they thought they had some sort of stable deterrent relationship. These attacks show that those assumptions were just wrong. There, we have a lot more questions today than we have answers in terms of what Hamas was trying to do here. Did they miscalculate? Was this a catastrophic success? Or were they deliberately trying to provoke Israel into invading Gaza, to come back into Gaza. We don't know. But Israel has now said that their stated goal is to dismantle Hamas's military capability and its governing capability. And here's the real problem as we look into the next week and months and months into the future. Hamas has governed the Gaza Strip, like Mm -hmm. I said, since 2007. If Hamas isn't governing it, who is? Israel is going to inevitably have to go in on the ground. And you either rule a place directly or indirectly, and they don't have anybody else to rule it indirectly. They're going to end up ruling Gaza if they go in on the ground. And they're going in with young men and women and conscripts, and they don't have an exit strategy. It, does it feel inevitable that some in this uh, conflict do want a larger scale war, some on one side, some on another? The, all the all the sort of um, benchmarks are, uh, are are there for the potential for this to grow into something that we just haven't seen in the Middle East in our lifetime. 
That's true, and it could. Right now, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. So there's an ongoing debate, and it's a very polemical debate, on what Iran's role was in this conflict. Did Iran green light the Hamas operations, or did they just support and arm Hamas, and Hamas took this on their own initiative? So far, the most likely place for it to escalate, it hasn't yet, and that's on the border between Israel and Lebanon, where Israel faces off with Hezbollah. Now, I mentioned deterrence between Hamas and Israel and the miscalculation about that. Israel and Hezbollah have actually had a very stable relationship since 2006. They know exactly how to retaliate against provocative attacks without it escalating. And so far, Hezbollah and Hezbollah's leader hasn't sent any indications that they wanted to escalate further. And there's a feeling, perhaps, that Iran was willing to sacrifice Hamas sacrifice the Palestinian arm of the so-called axis of resistance, but they're very hesitant to sacrifice the Hezbollah branch of that axis of resistance. Because from, from the Iranian point of view, Hezbollah and the risk that Hezbollah can pose to Israel is a real deterrent to prevent anyone from attacking Tehran and Iran's nuclear facilities. So long story, we haven't seen any escalation yet. And we've seen just the, the sort of skirmishes and responses you'd expect. But there is the potential that if if Israel goes in on the ground, like I think is inevitable in yeah. the coming days and weeks, Hezbollah will escalate. And then we'll see how Israel yeah. responds and I, how the U.S. responds. Remember, the U.S. is deploying one of its most yeah. capable aircraft carrier strike groups to the eastern Mediterranean right now. David, I got 45 seconds left. For our audience, explain why Hamas and Iran are often linked in the same senses for people just trying to get a, a basic understanding of our conflicts here. Hamas wants, Hamas wants to destroy the state of Israel, wants to destroy a Jewish state in Israel. And other Palestinian groups have moved towards accepting Israel or negotiating with Israel, and most of those have been discredited. Iran has turned to supporting Hamas, which, by the way, is a Sunni Islamist group. And Iran, of course, is a Shia Islamist, is in a Shia Islamist country and is usually linked to Islamist groups. But they support Hamas because it buys them this, this legitimacy of being the most prominent and vocal supporters of Palestinian rights and of liberating what they see to be the occupied territory of, of Palestine mm. and the location of Al-Aqsa, the third holiest mosque in Islam. David Patel, Middle East Initiative, Research Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for putting it in context for our listeners, and I hope we can call on you again. I appreciate you getting up so early for us. Thank you for having me. David Patel joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let's get the very latest uh, with Sabrina Nanji from QP Observer. She busted that story open uh, wide about the Eglinton LRT and its start time. Sabrina, what do we know about this? This looks like a bit of a standoff. If you woke up this morning thinking the tweets by uh, JAMA would be gone or there be some kind of context not the case yet no they're still they're still online um and you know we don't really have much detail from marit styles who as you mentioned has asked her mpp not for the first time to retract uh you know similar statements this is not the first time sarah jama has has gotten in trouble and had to apologize for her remarks to the jewish community what i think is dangerous here is how long this is dragging out i mean marit styles hasn't given us a timeline for when jama needs to retract we don't know the consequences of you know if she'll be booted out from caucus so the countdown is on yeah there isn't much um styles can do she's uh, there's a lot she can do i should say but i know she doesn't want to lose another number she said laura may 
Orlando vacate in Kitchener-Waterloo. There's been another member uh, kicked out for objectionable conduct. They're down to 29 already from the 31 they got elected with last summer, Sabrina. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, Sarah Jama hasn't even been at Queen's Park that long. Um, you know, she obviously replaced Andrea Horvath in, in Hamilton Center. Um, and, and she's been a, a prominent disability advocate. So I think a lot of people are upset that this is happening. And Jama really seems to be digging in her heels here. Uh, you know, at, at the Jewish communities, I mean, we've got Sija, B'nai B'rith, uh, the Friends of Simon Weisenthal Center, all, you know, coming together to say Jama needs to go, even the opposition parties and the premier's office are, are you know, holding Mart Sal's feet to the fire saying, don't drag this out. I mean, this is coming on the same day that the RCMP launched a full on investigation into the Ford government's Greenbelt land swap. And here we are talking about JAMA when I think the opposition parties would like all the heat to be on Premier Doug Ford. You made a fantastic point. Um, I was going to get there and I do want to talk about Greenbelt, but you're right. Styles should be crowing. And she was a big impetus as to why the RCMP pushed forward with this investigation. One more clear clearly on on JAMA is that the NDP, this is the troubling thing. They were well aware of a lot of JAMA statements. They were well aware of an of an anti-Semite label that some put around JAMA's neck before she even got the nomination and before she was elected, Sabrina. Yeah, you're right. She has uh, come under fire for her past comments uh, and she has apologized for them. So you know, absolutely. I think this is putting Styles in a really tough position. She's certainly at the very least going to have to read Gemma, the riot act. And, you know, putting out this statement does that and sort of airs, you know, caucus dirty laundry in public. So I think, you know, the quicker Marit Styles and the NDP can nip this in the bud, uh, the better for the party. Greenbelt RCMP, this is the last thing Doug Ford wanted to see. Um, some are going to question, indeed, whether this will be a thorough investigation, how long it'll last. But it's more bad news for a party that it's hard to believe, Sabrina. It was only three weeks ago Khalid Rashid resigned. It's only three weeks ago that all these Vegas details at the Wind Spa started getting uh, released. This government just can't escape the Greenbelt controversy. Yeah, this is a very big deal for the already embattled PCs, and they've had the summer of discontent. They've lost two ministers, two top staffers, uh, and, you know, the, the hits just keep on coming. Their popularity has been plummeting. And despite this reversal, it seems like this headache is not over when it comes to the green belt. Now, obviously it's a big, it's a big question mark at this point, whether there are going to be criminal charges or a trial. Um, but certainly, you know, having the RCMP sniffing around, it's much different than the auditor general. I mean, you know, some developers were ig ignoring her summons. They were fighting her in court on that. When the RCMP comes knocking, you really can't tell them, no, you've got to answer their questions. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think the timing of this is going to be major if, if, and it's a big, if there are charges uh, that, that come down, you you know, these can take a long time, months or years. And so if it comes around, you know, June 2026, when the PCs are up for re-election, I think this could do serious damage to the government. Wow. Yeah. Amazing that it could stretch out that long. They'd probably like to get it over with and wrap it in a bow. Great stuff on this, Sabrina. I appreciate you coming on this morning. Thanks for having me. That's Sabrina Nanji. Subscribe to all that she does at QPobserver.com. Uh,